Hello, friends and folks. Welcome to the Rendition Pod. This is where we take apart the book versus movie conversation. I've got some gorgeous ladies here to talk about that. Uh, I'm your host, Elise. We've got Jude uh, on the movie portion of our segment. Say hi, Jude. Hello. <laughs> uh, and then on the other end, the book, the literary uh, genius, the master of all things written, uh, Ashley. Say hello, darling. Hello. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to take apart Howl's Moving Castle. Y'all know the Miyazaki movie. Y'all know that gorgeous, gorgeous piece of cinematic animation. Uh, but it's also a uh, children's fantasy story written by Welsh author Diana Wayne Jones. Uh, forgive me if I mispronounce that. Uh, again, she's Welsh. So, um, <laughs> so um, this uh, is actually one that I was really excited about. I watched it over the weekend, and I texted my ladies, and I'm like, y'all, I really need us to talk about this, because I can already hear, I can already hear it in my head, y'all talking to me. So, um, uh, so off the bat, off the bat, uh, do we have any, like, strong impressions about our, uh, most recent rewatch reread? Um, Hal is super gay. <laughs> <laughs> If I can't be beautiful, what is the point of living? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's honestly just as vain, if not more so, in the book. So yeah, yeah, I, you make you make a, a not invalid point. Mm-hmm. Something I noticed that I thought was really interesting about uh, the animation choices: uh, Howl is almost pleasantly emotionless through everything, like. He's got this very pristine mask. He's like put himself together. He's dyed. He's primped. He's plucked. Uh, and then you get to the parts where he's really upset, like where Sophie takes the uh, calcifer out of the uh, out to sweep the ashes the first time, or any of the other like instances. And he's very just still has the smile on his face, still has the calm Christian Bale voice, um, but he's very you can tell he's enraged and then he starts like melting and turning into a drama queen which i don't know i was like all right i like the subtlety there miyazaki that's gorgeous but how much weight do you think christian bale gained or lost in this <laughs> actually it's really funny he uh was getting ready for the batman role when he got this role so that growl that he does no he wasn't shut no, up i was real. just thinking that no, i was like real. oh he totally used the batman voice when he was in monster mode <laughs> he actually did he was he was practicing it in the recording studio. Uh, so you know, Batman voice. Just if you hate it, imagine it as Howl, Howl as Batman. Um, so you know, yeah, the movie's got a fucking killer cast. Like Gene Simmons and Lauren Bacall. Those are some golden age uh, leading ladies. Um, and then uh, fucking Billy Crystal as Calcifer. And then da da da. I actually don't know Emily Mortimer that well. Um, I feel like I should. Do you know any of her movies? I don't remember. But I don't know. She's got a hot girl name. Yeah, she does. She does. But um yeah, she looks like she's got that like Amber shortcut that's like very fluffy and like, you know, the sparkle filter on her Instagram. Yeah, yeah, you know. So if you're out there, Emily, um you call sound me. hot, yeah. Actually <laughs> stop trying to call me. <laughs> stop trying to call me. <laughs> um but yeah, so um and now the book is pretty different. From the movie, like, that's what Miyazaki does best. He takes, like, these gorgeous things, and he makes a beautiful homage to what it is, but he makes it his own, uh, not in, like, an over-the-top offensive way, which is, like, really, really something for somebody uh, doing that. So, um, yeah, what, uh, 
There's some different parts of the book that I'm still a little fuzzy on. Um, Ashley, uh, do you? So, like, wait, yeah, okay, I mean, wait, I'm sorry. Just to jump in here oh, real quick, oh, just for our listeners at home, just yes. a little background yes. on the pod here. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashley can read 200 to 250 words a minute. Yeah. So yeah, that's why she picks. <laughs> the, so we choose mm-hmm. the subject two hours before the podcast. Yep. And Ashley usually has the book read yeah, in that us- time. Usually. She's well, amazing. Yeah. She and just then like... I select the movie because I can't read. She's <laughs> <laughs> incapable of reading, of mm-hmm. functionally illiterate, mm-hmm. actually. Right, right. And then mm-hmm. I, on a whim, will text you guys in the middle of the day or at three in the morning. And, you know, I'm like, hey, let's do a thing, guys. Uh, it works. It's functional. Uh, we have a couple very competent people balancing all of the sounds. So it's great. Um, but yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was really glad when you, you guys texted me yesterday. I was like, well, I'm glad I own this book. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have to go out of my way to find it. Right. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. So what were you saying about uh, book elements, my darling? Oh, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's it, it's funny because when you suggested it, um, it's almost like unfair to compare the book and the movie because they are so different. But I would say that Miyazaki definitely captures a lot of the heart and the meat mm-hmm. of the element and just the overall like elements of the book. But one thing that stands out is the book is much more of a, it's almost like a, a satire fantasy. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's definitely like you have to be familiar with fantasy to really appreciate some of the elements of it. Um, it's set in a world where fairy tale tropes are just a way of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sophie is the eldest of three sisters. Um, the movie dropped one of her sisters. <laughs> they and, do, they do uh, mention her though, like that she had her heart stolen by Howl, but they don't like mention her as a sister. Which right. I was, I so that's like actually again another like that's a a pretty big plot element in the <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah. Um, is like Howl uh, in his philandering ways, mm-hmm. whereas the movie just kind of says it as an aside. Um, we all have that kind one wild a... sibling that gets their heart <laughs> stolen by a wizard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You worry about it. <laughs> um, there's also a couple characters in the movie that kind of smash together that are actually like separate characters in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few characters they add, like Solomon. The wizard Solomon isn't like this overarching kind of bad guy character. In most of the in most of the book, he kind of just is alluded to, and then at the very end, you're like, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's what was going on there the whole time." Right. So, um, definitely liberties were taken. Um, I would say, like, definitely just it's comparing and contrasting the two. Yeah. The book is a much like a much more humorous look at a fantasy world. It's not this lush, beautiful Miyazaki landscape, <laughs> but also the characters are a lot meaner oh, yeah. like all around like Powell's a lot pettier he and Sophie are constantly bickering yeah. there's not like these, these soft like I'll find you in the future like moments like no I mean even even it toward the end when they finally uh you know decided to live happily ever after they're just it's definitely implied other. that happily ever after is like bickering and <laughs> snapping at each other constantly don't they kind of just like yell at each other at the end like yeah i love you you dumb dumb yeah um, yeah pretty much yeah. um and it's then, also really cute because we were kind of talking about like um how's vanity uh oh and michael so michael the apprentice character is a lot older mm-hmm. in the book and he's actually um courting one of sophie's sisters also right um i do like but the he has this kind of aside where he says uh 
the day that Howell doesn't spend like an hour primping in the bathroom is the day that I'll believe he's actually in love, which kind of like factors into Sophie figuring out he's in love with her toward the end of the book, which is a very cute use of the character's vanity, I think. Mm-hmm. It is. I do like that Miyazaki gave the Witch of the Waste a redemption arc. Like I thought that was really interesting. Like it kind of yeah. In the book, she just gets murked. Yeah, she straight up just yeah gets eaten by her. She has a she has a a demon, much like Calcifer, mm-hmm. that kind of ends up using and consuming her. Yeah, but like I think it balances out in the movie because of like uh, you've got that overarching anti-war thing, and like that's such a big evil and a big negative force, and then. To also have this uh, evil witch character that is just irredeemable uh, would also, I don't know, I think it would make it a heavier movie. I don't know. What do you think, Judas? I said Judith and it came out Judas. I'm so sorry. Anyway, Judy, darling. Miyazaki films always have this uh, rule of recuperation, right? You know, at least like the bad guys always get sort of brought into the family. Mm-hmm. You know, these are family-friendly films. There really are no bad guys. Mm-hmm. Except in this movie, there there are, for sure. Oh, yeah. Definitely some bad guys. Um, without getting too much into my take about the movie yet, mm-hmm. uh, there's definitely, like, a lot, a lot of a lot of rage in this movie. You can, s- <laughs> like, Miyazaki's simmering frustration with the Iraq war at the time mm-hmm. is, is there. Mm-hmm. You can tell there's some real anger in this movie, especially with the violence, like, more so than Princess Mononoke, like, the way that Hal talks about when he's when he's impersonating the king and he's like we've decided not to use magic because it hurts the civilians too you know you can tell it's definitely it's definitely an anti-war film and I feel like he would have picked any any book that he read at that time to turn into an anti-war vehicle yeah yeah the fantasy it's also interesting it's interesting, like that he in the in the movie, like the the conscripted like royal wizards are kind of tro- turned into like mindless drones. Mm-hmm. Just thinking, kind of like, the anti-war because it is definitely like there are not any anti-war elements in the book. Of course, it was written in like 1986 right. versus the movie is like what 2004. Right. So totally, totally different times, really. Yeah. Yeah. The the the. The politics of this movie are perfect, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like the people that get suckered into participating in the war, like the other wizards, like gain nothing and just mm-hmm. become monsters, basically. Which is a mm-hmm. huge point, I think. The only people that have anything to gain from this are like Suleiman and the and the king, king basically, yeah. and then everyone el- and then everybody else just suffers because of it, which I think is a really important point. Yeah, that's pretty telling. Like, and then Howl, who's trying to protect and try to stay out of it as much as possible but even he becomes tainted. No, he's not trying to stay out of it. No, he's not. He what? he he goes out through the through the black door to mm-hmm. just sabotage both sides. I mean, which yeah. I think is an important point cuz Miyazaki doesn't fucking play <laughs> with any of this pacifist <laughs> bullshit. He sees that there's a war mm-hmm. and the only the, the only way to the only way to stop a war to prevent a war is to do violence to the people trying to wage one, right. which is what Hal does. Right. And there's this narrative that the queen or Suleiman or whoever she is puts mm-hmm. out uh I watched the movie very closely obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, that she puts out that he's like selfish and vain and stupid. First of all, there's nothing wrong with taking time, being beautiful. Mm-hmm. Is Hal a, a little <laughs> hung up? Does he have a? Is he a little neurotic? Yes. Mm-hmm. But the queen tries to frame his like private personal life as meaningless in relation to the war, which is something that happens to all of us, to any citizen of a nation state. That is sort of the line: is that 
you right trying to strip the individualism exactly yeah 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 and she frames all of his efforts and his life and his use of magic as being selfish and pointless and maybe it is a little bit but so the fuck what he's hot as hell (laughs) and he's 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 really not he's trying to stop the war he's trying to protect people he Mm -hmm. he almost he goes full sicko mode trying to protect the hat shop Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. yeah uh so yeah suleiman can get fucked Mm -hmm. uh yeah and uh, yeah, I, I just love the politics of this movie because yeah. the the which of the waste is presented as the bad guy originally, but she's just another like helpless cogn- subject. Yeah, right. and it's kind of like a show of like this is how vanity can ruin you if you keep letting it, but you can still like take care of yourself and like you know uh, like Hal does. It's like she's the really extreme of how that could go, um, which and then it. <laughs> The stairs are the great equalizer between all, uh, which I thought was that was probably one of my favorite <laughs> that parts. Seems so good. It's so yeah, good. yeah, yeah. Just like this made-up rule about the stairs is a great is a great metaphor. Like, just like the rules don't fucking matter. Like, the, what the people in charge say is usually just designed to hurt you, mm. or it's just completely pointless, mm. or just there to make you suffer. Uh, I I love this movie. Maybe right. I just needed some catharsis, but I thought right, that the yeah. politics were really on point. Something I really love about Miyazaki is like as a creator, uh, he really uh, he's been put down as really enjoying the construction of war machines or like tanks and airplanes, especially um, which like comes up in The Wind Also Rises, which is that uh, biopic about the uh, architect for most of the. Japanese planes in World War II, um, but he hates war. So it's like, I, it's and that also comes up in Nausicaa. So you get like these beautiful machines that are like the height of human creativity uh, that are used in really awful ways. And so like that balance and like that rage that you had mentioned is really interesting coming forth from somebody that creates something so beautiful. Like, I don't know, the balance and the craftsmanship really uh, uh, make me pretty happy. Also, he's a sweetheart. He, um, when this movie was to be released, he uh, took a version of it, like a film version of it, and flew to London to meet with Diana Wayne Jones uh, and did a, like a private screening for her. Um, and she, uh, she had always thought the castle was floating, and so uh, when she saw his like Baba Yaga like kind of version. He was, she was like, yeah, oh, I like that a lot better. So she talked to her publishers about getting, uh, like, the newer prints uh, of the cover have the legs on the castle. Because oh, so that, I think, that is, like, such a, a really funny, I, like, I know we're a podcast, but mm-hmm. I need everyone listening to do me a favor after they're done listening is Google Howl's Moving Castle cover art, mm-hmm. because, like, all of the cover art up until 2004 is so hilariously bad. Yeah, Mine it's... in particular has this like uh, kind of Nick Cage looking um, howl. <laughs> and then it's got, uh, we've got um, Michael in the front looking like a young Jeff Goldblum. It's, <laughs> it's really, really good, bad cover art. And I need everyone to see it. I always like the one that has Calcifer on it, but like he's this big, like blue, like flamey thing with eyes. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, uh, that one looks very like medieval. Um, fairy tale kind of like colors and gold um but yeah, i definitely have the version with the baba yaga castle but um but yeah so i don't know i dig it a lot i feel uh, like uh up until like harry potter uh fantasy cover art um was a lot different oh <laughs> for kids, yeah for kids books yeah it's um it's interesting i kind of like the older stuff because like the newer stuff seems to be like you know child of 
smoke and ashes and then like there's gold leaf and then there's like cool typography that you see on Pinterest and then there's like you know feathers or something and it doesn't I don't know I don't know I'm being an old lady about it but um, no no I mean I think I think I'm like a meta stand like just thinking about like the the idea of it is I think it's it is because young adult fiction has become more acceptable for older people to read and therefore like graphic designers have responded in kind by making the graphic design look more mature but Mm -hmm. I do kind of appreciate the really over-the-top cover art of like 1980s kids fantasy oh yeah it's good it's real good but yeah so um I don't know so uh as far as like some of the uh, characters and elements and like because this movie was definitely a flex for Miyazaki. Like this one was like texture and color and like every element is moving and interesting. And like the book is, is kind of like a little bit more step back simplistic. I feel like Uh, you get, because Sophie never realizes like who she is or what she can do uh, or even, yeah. And so you get a lot of clues. You get a lot of clues that she can perform magic throughout the book. And it's not until the very end um, that she's like, oh, I guess I've had magic this whole time too. I could use that. Right. Like, yeah. And then when she figures out the bit about the hats where she's actually been sending out like these good vibes into these hats uh, (laughs) and it's like, oh, oh, okay. I can do, I can do it. Um, But like, it's definitely more intuitive, which I think is really interesting uh like versus the movie that's very fully engaging like your eyes immediately grabbed from like the very first shot to the very end where you're like oh my god every element of this makes me just want to melt into it um yeah for those at home uh that like drugs you should definitely uh do those and watch this because it's really (laughs) really nice okay yeah speaking of that uh, the first time i watched this movie and that i remember it was last night of course but Mm -hmm. In 2011, I tried to watch this movie with a girl who lived on the floor above me Mm -hmm. in my dorm room. Um, We got way too wasted, and we decided to watch it. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being so hyped for every shot because it was just gorgeous, and I was stupid drunk. Mm -hmm. Um, But then she told me she was going to join the fucking junior police academy or whatever on oh, campus and okay. that just that just broke my heart oh, just, and then oh. the whole night just became oh wow so was that me memory trying to imprinted her. on that and yeah. like okay yeah. well uh, okay i guess watching it last night was uh, what a nice what a what a yeah. funny what a funny movie to to be watching while someone's talking about joining a police academy right, i know right, i know yeah. i know kind yeah. of a cognitive dissonance there yeah. yeah okay so about sophie uh, the, the movie tries to tell you that she's like homely, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that. She's cute. The whole okay. Time. Which I didn't yeah. really get. I was like, what? But mm-hmm. then the second time I watched it, I was like, okay, he, is this what Miyazaki thinks like a not cute white girl looks like? <laughs> like she's got, she's got bad, she's, she's got bad bangs that make her forehead look weird and she's got big eyebrows. Is that, that's a weird glimpse into mm-hmm. maybe the Japanese male idea of what a kind of not very cute white girl looks or, like or it could be like the same with all like teen movies where she's homely because she has glasses and frizzy hair or some shit nah, you she know? got a bad fucking the, the haircut only... she got bad <laughs> eyebrows the only thing that the movie is missing is the makeover scene mm-hmm. you yeah, know well, i guess it has it though but at yeah, the yeah, end when her yeah. hair turns all gray well no she, <laughs> no she gets turned into an old lady yeah that's the makeover yeah. scene yeah. That, yeah. That's yeah. The, which of the ways turns her into an old lady <laughs> 
like we have a reverse makeover situation here. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie looks very kindly on elderly people, of yeah. course. I think that's really nice. It she just owns it yeah, immediately. Yeah, she's getting like, transformed into an old woman. She's like, I am who not, I am on the outside now. Yeah, it doesn't stop Sophie at all. <laughs> but so that, the movie is a little a... fat phobic, though. <laughs> and Miyazaki and I think the Japanese at large maybe have an issue with fat people. Mm. Um, is that, you say that because of the Witch of the Waste? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Gotcha, yeah. 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 Um, I would say like that's actually a one to one with the book is um, it never really describes Sophie as homely so much as it's constantly talking about how beautiful her sisters are in comparison to her, mm. and also uh, when she she does kind of have this transformation where like once she becomes an old woman she kind of remarks like oh I'd be so embarrassed to be acting this way when I was younger but now I just don't give a fuck and you're <laughs> like yes girl get it like be your true self embrace that embrace that crotchety old Sophie we love it I know I always like one of my favorite elements of the it of that curse is like when she's vital and she's moving and she doesn't think about it she's like fully herself again and like you know Mm -hmm. she's enjoying being alive and then the minute that like Howell tells her she's beautiful she remembers herself and she retreats into herself and like I think uh I think it was like trying to say that your self-conscious like you know low self-esteem makes you into that you know uh which is like way to fucking call me out Miyazaki okay I don't need that um but but you know uh but it is it's really well done I don't know I dig that part but I think that is one way that like the visual medium um like Miyazaki uses the visual medium really smart because that would be a lot harder to express in the book since, like, Sophie's your point-of-view character, and you can only really ever see, see things the way she sees them in the book, she doesn't really have those, like, back-and-forth moments. Because mm-hmm. um, that'd be really hard to communicate. But with a visual medium, you can really play with that element of the curse, and I do think it's really fun. Right, right. Because, like, isn't Sophie the narrator of the book? Like, she's got that... Well, it's kind of like... It's kind of like Harry Potter perspective. Oh, like, right, it's right, like right. It's like third person, but you can only... But it's like... You only experience everything through Sophie's point of view. Right, right. So, yeah, she can't see it from the outside necessarily, so it's harder to, like, be uh, nuanced about that element of it. Uh, But you're right. Mm -hmm. The visual definitely, like, lends itself for that. But um, As far as, like, fantasy science fiction goes, we're all just kind of living in J.K. Rowling's world now. (laughs) It's really hard to talk about any film or or book or, like, Um, YA fiction without having to talk about J.K. Rowling as well. Speaking of that, yeah, uh, maybe we should do like a Pee Wee Herman thing. Like if we ever mention J.K. Yeah, Rowling, yeah, to yeah, start yeah, yelling. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'd have to go really far and wide to get a, to get away from J.K. Rowling. Uh, the, you think before before Rowling, it, like it was like Tolkien. Everyone's just like, it's just Tolkien's world. We're just living. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, yeah, actually, did you know that one time C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien uh, sucked each other off in front of Christopher <laughs> Lee at Cambridge one time and. <laughs> I hope. God, I'm it so tired. Like I'm so tired time. of Lord of the Rings trivia. Like, it, it, you can get on the internet at any time, and you are never more than four clicks away from yeah. Uh, yeah. from from anyone's post. That's like, actually, in 1938, uh, 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 Christopher Lee passed J.R. Tolkien on the on the sidewalk. I know, isn't it great? <laughs> yeah, the six yeah. degrees, the six degrees of Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But uh, yeah. what were you trying to say a second ago before we went on a like Tolkien? Oh, okay. So we rant? so about like world building the. The Diane Wynne Jones book I have read is called Archer's Goon, which I didn't realize was a Diane Wynne Jones book until I looked it up last night. But <laughs> if that's anything like Howl's Moving Castle, 
she does a lot of implied world building. Mm-hmm. She just sort of yeah. lets you fill in the gaps. Yeah. And as far as like the magic goes, and like the fairy tale elements are, are, are taken for granted. So there's like this magical realist element to it for sure. Mm-hmm. That is way better does way more work world building wise than JK mm-hmm. Rowling's approach of having to like giving scribble it out every you. single yeah. every single thing. She's so JK Rowling is so insecure about the world she's built that she's on Twitter fucking tying up loose ends about it. Right. Whereas the win whereas whereas like uh Miss Win Jones it's just, just like, kind of lets it happen. Which is something Miyazaki does too. And mm-hmm. I think that's why mm-hmm. they're so compatible. And I think that's why he saw this movie and was like, Oh fuck yeah. Like Yeah, you know, we're doing this. Yeah. yeah like the yeah. all like all of like the magical people in this, like all of like the weird like little Lord Fauntleroy magic boys <laughs> yeah. with the bad Bob haircuts and whatnot. Yeah. All have like the same like expressionless face, like yeah. you mentioned Hal does earlier. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like why is that? We don't think about it too much, but we know that that means right. this person can use magic for some reason. Yeah, exactly. You don't really need to question it. It doesn't stick out. It just like is another smooth part of the fabric of the story I that do. just makes sense to you. You know, you feel like you're 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 looking at like a complete object. Yeah. 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 I do love like elements where like a uh, the protagonist just kind of stumbles in and they're constantly having to figure out new rules for the magic like or just new rules of the world that they're being thrust into and nobody explains anything and they're just like you should know this you should know this and it's like ah um so the the book kind of has a kind of has a, a bait and switch on that and that like because the protagonist grew up in this world she like uh jones never goes out of her way to like explain elements of the world because the character would just understand and accept them because that's the world they grew up in mm-hmm. but I would say like halfway through, maybe two thirds of the way through, they end up going to visit Howell's home and Howell's actually from our world. So he's from Wales. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's just a brief aside where the characters go to Wales and Sophie and Michael are kind of just really shocked by the entire experience because mm-hmm. our world is so different from their world, even though it's very, you know, mundane. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of like, oh, there's a sign that says Welsh rugby. And they're like, what is this? crazy thing you know oh, um yeah. they're standing in the living so it kind of it kind of plays it kind of plays with that a little bit which is fun yeah oh, what cracks me up is so christian bale is welsh uh he does an american accent to play howl who is technically welsh mm-hmm. yeah i mean I the, the gaelic pronunciation of howl's name would be like tolman <laughs> it's something american english speaking audiences right. get, it's kind of like a lot. corn being turned into high fructose corn syrup being made into candy corn um but so, you know, world the world is funny. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a good time. Okay, so it's 2004. Yeah. This movie is wrapping up. Yeah. Miyazaki is putting the final touches on. Yeah. George W. Bush mm-hmm. is standing on the deck of an aircraft destroyer <laughs> unfurling a banner that says mission accomplished mm-hmm. in front of 40, 50 seething soon to be mm-hmm. used jet ski salesmen <laughs> announcing the end of the Iraq war. Uh-huh. And he walks off the stage. Yeah. He picks up the satellite phone. Yeah. And he says, <laughs> now, Miyazaki-san, <laughs> I, I don't know if you know this, but uh, I'm something of a of an artist myself. <laughs> and I would be honored if I could uh, shade a few cells in your upcoming uh, anime <laughs> <laughs> film, <laughs> Miyazaki-san. <laughs> All right. Uh, and actually, the bathtub 
scene yeah. was um, colored by George, George W. Bush. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. God, that was I. I one thousand uh, percent uh, believe everything you just said. Yeah, yeah. I did not know I needed a Bush impression from you, but uh, that was that was gorgeous. <laughs> <Just Zaki's son>. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. So as I was like looking up stuff about the movie and everything, I was um, I've always been confused by Disney's involvement in Studio Ghibli. Um, so I, I looked it up uh, because I'm like, hey, I have Disney Plus. Where the fuck are my Disney are my Ghibli movies? Um, so, uh, short history lesson here. Um, so in 1998, when uh, Princess Mononoke came out, um, it was Miyazaki was starting to get like a lot of acclaim uh, overseas, and Harvey Weinstein approached him about getting the rights to, uh, you know. Uh, distribute it in the U.S. and as it was like they were set to do it, they were set to release. Uh, Weinstein was like, "Okay, we're gonna cut like half of this, uh, and we're gonna take out all the violent elements. We're gonna cut it. Um, it's gonna be like an hour and fifteen minutes. And for those of you that have seen it, it's like two hours. Uh, so, and uh, the studio, uh, the studio, uh, Toshiro um, Suzuki, uh, one of the heads of the studio." Uh, sent Weinstein a samurai sword and a note that said no cuts and yes and so so they lost it was amazing uh but they lost the rights to it Uh, but they also like maintained their standard of quality um but eventually Lasseter from Pixar was like oh my god I'm such a big fucking fan I will advocate for this let's do this and um they started uh like so around 2002 that's when they started like doing uh, releases the uh, the big one was Spirited Away, which I think is why a lot of American audiences associate Miyazaki as like that is his magnus opus, like that's the best one. It's got like this big nostalgia thing as like the introduction to Ghibli movies. But um, I I don't know. I've always felt that uh, Howl's was definitely his more like crafted work. Um, me like Spirited Away is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but Howl's is probably like. I think one of the best put together. Uh, Kiki's is still my favorite for anybody that actually gives a shit. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, but then you know the back and forth with like uh, a lot of the rights and uh, the middling success in the like studio, uh, the theater releases, and not a whole lot of press. Um, eventually, Ghibli was like, uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, okay, Disney, what the fuck ever. Um, so uh, although it is really funny that overseas. Um, Netflix accounts have Studio Ghibli movies, so I don't know. And that's where we bring up today's sponsor, Blah 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 (laughs) VPN, with Blah 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 VPN. You too can watch Ghibli movies on Netflix. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. So uh, Netflix, please sponsor us. Um, (laughs) And then HBO Max. Yes, HBO Max, please sponsor us as well. Uh, We need uh, coffee funds. Thank you. Um... (laughs) But yeah, uh, so with that, if y'all want to take like a five minute break, uh, we'll get back to more conversations, fresh ideas about uh, this amazing ass story. So with AT&T, you can pick the perfect plan for each family member with the features they want, like HBO Max or... What was that? Happens every time I say HBO Max. Cool. HBO Max. read it's not complicated now you can save more with AT&T wireless plans 
and get things your way with features like HBO Max included. Hello again. I hope you enjoyed our sponsored break. It's not actually sponsored. It's okay. Um, Welcome so. back to Classically Abby. I'm Abby <laughs> Shapiro. And today we're going to be talking about the female penis. Fact or fiction? <laughs> oh, my God. Or a fantasy. Or fantasy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, Futanari fans everywhere. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Excuse me. All right. I just had to tie it in. Uh, anyway, so um, now that you all know my tags, um, so let's see. Uh, we've been talking about House Moving Castle. It's amazing. We all love it. Uh, the book is a little bit less well-known, uh, so we've had Ashley uh, elaborate on a lot of those elements. Uh, if y'all haven't read it, it's it's a solid 350-page uh, power-through kind of read that'll make you happy, like, It'll make you happy. Um, there's a lot of really cool elements to it. And the movie, dear God, if you haven't seen it, you, you what's wrong with you? Um, but so we're going to get to the part of the day where we talk about like, uh, we talk, we take it apart specifically from each, uh, from our Judith and from our Ashley. And uh, then we'll ask the age old question, which one was better, the book or the movie? So we'll start. Jude. Go right ahead, rip it, do okay. it. Okay, since we're talking about Miyazaki films, you mentioned Kiki's Delivery Service earlier. Uh-huh. When I was a child, I really loved that movie, mm-hmm. okay? There are several shots where Kiki goes up into the air on her broom, and mm-hmm. you can see her her bloomers, mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. knickers, if you will. Yeah. And the adults in my life at the time, just so you know how people talk about the homosexual agenda, <laughs> straight people are fucked up, because I was seven years old watching this movie, mm-hmm. and adults would wander through when I was just trying to enjoy Kiki's delivery service. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, you just like it because you can see her underwear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was not able to watch this movie shamelessly. Mm-hmm. For just no, no one let me enjoy it without sexualizing my interest in it. So right. thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Beyond that, the, the movie is great now, especially because I feel like the powers that be are kind of, tightening the noose a little bit Mm -hmm. like they're kind of stepping on everyone a little harder i think Mm -hmm. especially in the united states we can all feel austerity closing in a little bit and i think the movie doesn't necessarily have like an anti-austerity message right but it does have kind of like an anarchist anti-state tone to it right like Mm -hmm. fuck suleiman fuck the queen like Mm -hmm. do what you want use magic how you please and if there's a if there's a war out there if there are people trying to hurt each other Mm -hmm. it's your duty to do whatever you can to stop that Mm -hmm. and i think it it's nice. It was like really refreshing and inspiring. And it's a good it's a good watch now. It's a great anti-war film, like mm-hmm. I said. Yeah. It's a one of the best Miyazaki films for sure. I actually thought that Spirited Away came out after this. Mm. So I was sort of interpreting how it was like the, right. the like the warm up for Spirited oh, right, Away. Right, yeah. Um, but now that I understand that Spirited Away was sort of like a pre nine eleven film, um, it makes Howl's like kind of all the Although all the all the richer really because I had it, I had it backwards I thought Spirited Away was sort of the synthesis of all the Miyazaki mm-hmm. efforts right. till then where it's like it's really Hal's moving castle mm-hmm. which is which is interesting that he kind of uh, shot his wad on this anti-war <laughs> film which I think is <laughs> like like really inspiring like my guy like mm-hmm. me Miyazaki mm-hmm. like you know yeah. send Weinstein the the samurai sword you know <laughs> make an anti-war film in two thousand four yeah fuck yeah. George Bush yeah you know. <laughs> We love it. <laughs> we love to see it. We yeah. love to fucking see it. Uh, okay, Ashley, my darling, um, what are your thoughts on the book? Um, 
what I've read of of Diana Wynn Jones's work, I really like. Uh, I like her kind of satirical, no nonsense take on fantasy. Um, doesn't like we said. Doesn't over explain her world building. Um, trusts her audience to understand what's going on. Writes really fascinating um, characters. Uh, that are allowed to be mean and are allowed to make mistakes and are allowed to argue with each other, but still like love and support one another at the end of the day, which is not something you see frequently mm-hmm. in, uh, in media. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love our girl, Sophie. I love our, I love our sassy old lady. I love our very vain boy. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I like the book so much. Uh, it's a really fun read. It's not super long. It's not super complicated. It's just a good time. Right. And I am all about that. Exactly. Right. Like, I don't know. That's the point of fantasy, my friends. It's uh, it is what it is. You interpret, you take out of it, you enjoy it, you learn from it. So. All right. It's the question. It's the hour. Uh, How do we feel? Book versus movie? Jude. I don't think we should make a choice on this one. Just both. Yeah. Read the book. Watch the Watch the movie. Yeah. I agree with that. Ashley, my darling. I this is a hard one. Mm -hmm. I I'd, if I had to choose between the two, I this is a rare case where I would say I I would go movie, yeah. but only because it's so dang good. It's not for any it's not for any failure on the book's part. No. It's just the movie really is super super excellent. Right, right. Like some part of me kind of wonders what it would have looked like if he took it directly from the book. You know, like he interprets so much and he gives so much to like the nuance and some of the like more subtle things she was trying to come like bring across like what what I don't know if it would have been as enjoyable because the book in its medium was pretty great like so I don't know the separate elements of this kind of make me think that uh they're two separate entities and while entwined should not be judged one or the other um so kind of like you know um no, I'm not going to do that one. Never mind. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is the part where I edit myself. Anyway, so um, so I think uh, for those of you out there, uh, this one this one is enjoy both. Love both. Um, and, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. My dearest, my dears, thank you so much for listening to uh, the Rendition Pod, for getting up early, for staying up late. Thank you for enjoying all kinds of stories in media. Take them in. And love everybody. I don't know. All right. I love y'all. It's early. Goodbye. Bye, Say goodbye. Bye. Also, Bye. Abby Shapiro, stop DMing me. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on Fresh Air. <laughs> goodbye, darlings. Bye. Bye. No